After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! The regular season is reaching its conclusion. The playoffs are right around the corner. The second season, the most exciting time of the year, whatever you want to call it, Josh. But you know what? The, the really exciting part about this time of year is, of course, because the regular season is over, we'll have the ceremonial burning of the rule book because it doesn't count in the playoffs, right? Yeah, you know, we'll just throw it out the window or, uh, you know, as, as we've shared uh, a sketch that we did way back for Rob Volman for his hockey abstract book, you know, the, the rule book starts as a book and then it becomes a pamphlet. By the time you're in the playoffs, it's a one pager and then you just throw it out for overtime. So, yes, we are reducing the officials and we are re reducing the effective size of the rule book. Yeah, so we will get into all of this, some um, unusual happenings in the National Hockey League over the last week and wrapping up the regular season. And we'll look ahead a little bit to the playoffs that are coming up. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure you're following us on our social channels. For Josh, of course, you've bookmarked scoutingtherefs.com. It's at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. And for me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram. On this week's episode, if you fight late, it gets you the gate. Is this thing on? Travel nightmares, hands off, and here come the playoffs. As we documented, the playoffs are coming. We have not seen the list of playoff officials as of yet because the playoff schedule and matchups aren't really going to be official for a little while yet, Josh. Waiting to get the schedule of the matchups, the dates, when things are starting, and which officials will be working those games. So, We'll watch the league pare things down like we we see teams get eliminated. We see officials get eliminated. So first thing is that we take out all of the officials who are splitting time between the NHL and AHL. So you're looking at just full time NHL referees and linesmen, and then they'll pare down to pick their top 20 referees, their top 20 linesmen. Those will be the guys that are working the opening round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So we'll we'll know who those folks are and, and who, according to the league, are their top 20 officials very soon. This is based on merit and ratings throughout the season. This is not a popularity fan contest, correct? That's correct. Yeah, I think the fan vote would be significantly different. But yes, for, for <laughs> from all, city to city, for all those fans who look at accountability and, and complain that officials aren't held to a certain standard and they're not reviewed. It's a good time to remind everybody that officials are reviewed and evaluated after every game. There are officiating supervisors that are in the house that are watching the game that are giving them feedback. We get it at the league level where they're looking at plays that happened good or bad, sending it out to all the referees and linesmen and reaffirming. Here's the standard. This was a good Call. This was a questionable call. Here was a positioning issue that we saw. So they get that constant feedback. They get a mid-year review when they're getting effectively a letter grade on how they're doing so far this season. And then they know if they're basically on track for the playoffs or not. But the playoffs, that's when we get to peek behind the curtain because we can see the output of all of that feedback and all of the ratings. And we know which guys have moved on. And, and that's really the best indicator of saying from a regular season standpoint, these are your top 20 refs. These are your top 20 linesmen. And you know, they get a bonus for it. They're making money each round they move forward. So it's in their best interest to get selected for the playoffs and to make it as far as they can. So if you if you want to know if officials are being held accountable to anything, there's a whole bunch of things that factor in. But 
look at the guys who are making the playoffs. Those are the guys that the league feels are their top performers. We did not get that kind of feedback, though, in the annual NHLPA player survey this year. And I'm a little disappointed that I didn't see the best officials category. Uh, I always look forward to it. I, I flip digitally. I, I can't say flip anymore. I mean, these things, yeah. they're not printed. I, I click swipe. forward. I swipe. I, I try to find where the top officials were because we always looked forward to every year when that came out, seeing who it would be. And at, you mentioned, Todd, it's it, it's drastically different than what we hear from the fans. I think Wes McCauley, a top vote getter. We had Tim Peel, Kelly Sutherland in there, guys who tend to be good communicators on the ice. So I was curious to see where that would land this year. And unfortunately, it looks like that was one of the questions that the Players Association was not asking the players. We did have some communication relayed to us recently on an ESPN telecast because referee Kevin Pollock was mic'd up. So we got to hear him explaining a little bit of penalty or non-penalty calls, communication, as you mentioned, during the plague. Uh, we heard these exciting quotes such as, good checking, careful there, and, and that kind of thing. It's nice. It's a little bit of information. It is a small sliver of what actually goes on in terms of communication and verbiage on the ice, interacting with players and coaches. It is by no stretch of the imagination a deep dive into how the sausage is made. Now, I'm, I'm not complaining. <laughs> I'm not griping about this. Anything that we get is a step in the right direction. It's positive. It's helpful. But, but let me also explain that what you hear coming out of the broadcast is a very small fraction of what is said because it all has to be approved before it goes out and is broadcast and probably would have contained a few more four-letter words. <laughs> you think the, the harsh language on the ice is, is not limited to just the players. And I think they're all expecting a certain level of uh, give and take out there. But it would be nice if we could see a little bit more about what some of the exchanges are. Not necessarily the heated ones, Todd, but you know when, sure. we, when we do get into some of the interpretations or, or things beyond just, you know, watch the blue paint or, uh, you know, keep your sticks down, because there is so much that goes on all game long between the players and the officials, and especially between the officials and coaches, that I, I, I wish they would be a little freer with it. And I know why we can't be, and I understand it, especially on a, on a live basis, but, you know, they can they can pull the curtain back a little bit more. They can let us in on some of the conversations and what takes place. And I think people aren't aren't necessarily looking to point fingers or blame, or some are perhaps, but True. just to understand what's going on and, and what dialogue takes place and, and you, to really see that the officials are constantly interacting with the players. But they're interacting a lot more than than that particular Mike Din clip really lets us in on. So I, I think it's it's nice to see, like you said, but certainly a lot more happening than just what they're showing us. We'll we'll take whatever you can give us, but more transparency, more education and information we think would be helpful. Okay. Here's a really weird one that I, I didn't see watching the game, but just saw on a on a clip later. We will often see officials the, the linesman really doing ice repairs, the clear broken sticks. If there's a, a, a break in the twine in the net, they'll they'll tidy that up as well with a skate lace usually. But during the Avalanche Predators game the other night, this is a first for me. I've never seen this before, but Philip Forsberg rips one of his shots towards David Riddich, the goaltender, and <laughs> and <laughs> he broke the crossbar. I mean he hit the crossbar and a piece fell off and is dangling off the crossbar. The crew went to work, tidied it up, cleaned it up. But I have never seen anything like this before. No, and it's a pretty recent development that would cause this to happen because as, as powerful as Forsberg's shot is, this is not a solid piece of metal that is breaking. So he, he did 
find the fatal flaw. He did find the, you know, the secret path in the Death Star that was its weakness. <laughs> and, and this was the crossbar camera that's pointed straight down. So each crossbar has two cameras positioned in it that are pointed straight down at the goal line. The league uses those, obviously, for puck over line reviews. They're not always available to the broadcast crew, but it is available to hockey operations. So they have those two cameras there, and Forsberg's shot appeared to perfectly catch that camera housing and knock it loose. But it was it was amazing to see. It was a moment where I held my breath thinking, as that thing's dangling down, if they get another shot and, and that piece stops the puck from going in, <laughs> we've got a mess on our hands. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how you cover that one in the rule book. That's a that's a dangling something. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's allowed. Uh, would have been uh, would have been a fun case. But no, it, it was something that thankfully didn't affect play. And, uh, you know, a quick piece of hockey tape on it. And uh, we, we play on, boys. Wow. Unbelievable. OK, another interesting one in terms of rules occurred. During the regular season matchup, the final one between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers, it got a little out of hand in a number of different ways. First of all, the Lightning lit up the Panthers for eight goals. It wiped out their club record game-winning streak. Uh, The Panthers' Ryan Lomberg attempted to light up Tampa defenseman Eric Chernak with his fists. The two had a little bit of a tussle late in the game. Lomberg was deemed the instigator. It was in the final five minutes of the game, which brings an extra penalty in this case, Josh, if you instigate a fight in the final five minutes. It's rare, but it did happen here. It did, and it's the right call. It's it's one of those situations where when you've got the instigator penalty and you're calling it in the game situation, everything else that happens is automatic. That The, the penalties that are handed out become automatic, and the one-game suspension to the player as well as a $10,000 fine for the head coach automatically happened because that penalty is called. And we've seen situations where the league has gone back and rescinded them based on other circumstances. But what they look at is if the incident is related to the score, previous incidents in the game, retaliatory in nature, then this is an instigator penalty that we want to uphold, as well as all the consequences that go along with it. Okay. A couple of other things about this situation that I was curious about. So, of course, oh, this does not happen very often. Wonder when the last time was that this occurred. So, of course, you go to scoutingtherefs.com to look for this kind of information, and you've got it, and there was a familiar name involved. (laughs) How about that? The most recent, Ryan Lomberg. The previous... (laughs) <laughs> also, Ryan Lomberg, <laughs> he was then with the Calgary Flames. It uh, cost uh, head coach Bill Peters at the time $10,000. So he, at least we've got some different coaches paying up for this one. It, Like you mentioned, Todd, it's not a frequently called situation. And I, I think it's primarily because the instigator penalty in general is not commonly called. We've seen it tick up a little bit the second half of the year with guys starting fights after a hit, clean or dirty. Somebody comes in and and we see the instigator penalty called. So I think they've been using it a bit more. But overall, especially over the past few years, something that probably not penalized as frequently as it could be based on guys looking to avenge some physical play on the ice. You also mentioned that Andrew Burnett earns himself a fine as the head coach of the Florida Panthers. He also had an early exit to this game. Yeah, and and that was not automatic. There are some parts of it, like I mentioned, that are. This one, it looked like it was a pretty quick conversation (laughs) where the coach shouted, based on video we could find, the only thing potentially that could have caused it. We we see a clip of the coach yelling, you know, what do you do? 
and he's tossed. So I, I don't know if this was <laughs> really a situation where the officials felt that, uh, that he knew what he was doing and this was calculated or maybe they just needed to give the poor guy an explanation and send him on his way. But instead, uh, game management, uh, we're tossing the guy out. The player's gone. The coach is gone. We're not going to have this nonsense. We're moving this one along. It's Look, it's 8-1, boys. Let's just finish this route and wrap it right. up. The other thing about this that frustrated me just a little bit, as I'm listening to, I believe it was an ESPN Plus game, the call, and there was much speculation taking place about what the penalties were, who was going to get a power play, who wasn't going to get a power play, who was getting tossed, who was getting instigator penalties. No one on the announce team knew what the penalties were. And unfortunately, we did not get a full announcement from the officials. We always get the, oh, two minutes for tripping, two minutes for hooking, holding or whatever. I would like the referees to announce these long penalties. I know it's a long laundry list, but let's have them announced so that everyone understands. It's again, a little bit of education, a little bit of transparency. Yeah, and I think the the basic ones, the straightforward ones, fine. We don't need to get into a ton of detail on that. You don't need to elaborate on the tripping penalty when it stands alone. But when you're handing out 40 minutes of penalties in one stoppage, it's, it's kind of nice to know who's getting what and why they're getting it. I mean, in, in this case, we saw the Panthers picking up all but one fighting major to Cernak on the play. So it would be nice for them to say, hey, you know, we're we're giving game misconducts to this guy, this guy, and this guy. Explain what they did. Explain what's going on. Even to elaborate on the Lomberg situation to say, you know, he's getting two, five, and ten for an instigator, a fighting, and a, and a misconduct because it's in the final five minutes. He's gone for the game. I would love for them to elaborate. I'd love for the officials to do it. Again, I, you don't need to do it for every penalty, but in situations like this or ones where maybe there's a lack of clarity, let's have the officials do it. And let's not wait for the scorekeeper to have the PA guy announce what's being booked. Like, let's get an explanation from the officials when it's happening, because I think it would go a long way to get that sorted out before play resumes. You know, there's nothing worse than you get a team on the power play. You're trying to figure out what happened. The coach is trying to figure out what happened. The puck's dropped. We go on. And and now, 30 seconds later, the PA announcer is running through this laundry list of penalties. And it's not it's not helping anybody because we're already back in action on the ice. So I, I think, Todd, you, you've got a great point there. I think in general, for penalties being called, for some of the other situations... I don't need these guys to to go off and, and have a soliloquy or, or do this monologue <laughs> on everything that's happening, but maybe a little color on the call was a goal on the ice. We're going to review for goaltender interference or even elaborating after the fact to say the player's skate made contact with the goalie's pad outside the crease. That was incidental contact, so it's a good goal. Like just that little bit of elaboration would go a real long way. I think I can confidently say in the three years of doing this podcast, this is the first use of the word soliloquy. So well done. <laughs> it's your vocabulary word of the day. Every once in a while, we sneak one in there. I like that. Uh, there was a little, there was a little more money donated to the players' party fund as we wrap up the regular season. L.A. Kings forward Arthur Kaliev was fined two thousand two hundred fifty dollars, the maximum allowed under the CBA, for cross-checking Ducks defenseman Josh Mahura. Um, we know how much these teams do or don't like each other. It was a major penalty and a game misconduct for this one. The Kings player was upset that Mahura got high on him as they were up against the boards. There was a scrum and Kaliev gave Mahura the cross check. The helmet popped off. The line brawl ensued. The funny part about this 
It's in the last six seconds of the game, and the first guy to jump Arthur Kaliev is Ryan Getzlaff, who is retiring, <laughs> right. and everybody lined up to shake his hand afterwards. Six seconds later. <laughs> right. You know, it's it's the heat of the moment. It's game. It's hockey. It's it's just going out there. you got to stick up for your guys, and then when the horn sounds, we can all go back to will- wishing you well in retirement. But until then, I'm going to try to tear your head off. <laughs> It just it's just the whole dynamic struck me as very funny. But yes, congratulations, Ryan Getzlaff on a great career, by the way. Okay, Josh, my my memory isn't what it used to be. But didn't we have a situation, say a week or so ago involving the Philadelphia Flyers and a challenge for a missed hand pass? And it resulted in a goal. How come the Leafs and Caps had a missed hand pass challenge and the goal was overturned? I'm not sure I'm getting clarity on all of this. Well, uh, because they got the call right, uh, because they got the challenge eligible situation right. It was a play in the Flyers game, Flyers versus Habs, where they had that hand pass. They wanted to challenge. They were told they couldn't challenge and, and the goal stood. And for the Leafs, it, it's the same or similar situation where we've got a hand pass. And they were able to challenge, which is correct. The NHL rulebook allows for a coach's challenge for potential missed stoppages, and those include hand passes. So uh, unfortunately, Todd, the, the explanation is the officials got the rule right for the Leafs. And unfortunately, somebody fumbled that call when it came to the Flyers game, but uh, they got it right this time. Okay, so they got it's just getting the rule applied correctly. This is not part of the vast conspiracy to have the Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup this year. Is that correct? That is correct. And it's and it's knowing the rule book and unfortunately in this case the the Flyers coaching staff knew the rule book and and ran into an, an unexpected roadblock there. But absolutely, you know, it's important that they know what they can and can't challenge for. And in and in both cases, the coaching staff knew. It just it's it's good that they had the the proper result in Toronto. Okay, a couple of other quick ones before we wrap up this edition. Best wishes to referee Lucas Kohlmuller, who was officiating a game at the Under-18 tournament between the U.S. and Latvia. He collided with a USA player. The two fell to the ice, and Kohlmuller had his arm sliced by a skate. He went to the bench under his own power. Josh, do you have any more info or a bit of an update as to his condition? And hopefully he is okay. Yeah, hearing good things, uh, obviously a horrifying injury, uh, lost a lot of blood on the ice, so much that they they stopped the game, ended the period early, went to intermission three minutes early, tacked that on in the second. So it was a scary sight. I, I do hear that he has mobility in his hand. So there, it looks like there's no permanent injury uh, that he'll be able to make a full recovery, but certainly a scary moment. He did go to the hospital and uh, underwent surgery to to try to repair his injury there. So scary, scary moment, hoping he can make a full recovery, but that things looking positive that he will be able to do that. Okay, best wishes to him. Okay, there's... <laughs> There was another interesting one this past week. Chris Pronger has recently discovered Twitter. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, maybe the Elon Musk thing got, got his attention, and he's recently discovered Twitter. But he, he had a, a long, drawn-out thread about travel and how it affects players and going back to stories through his career of getting jammed in the middle seat of a commercial flight as a rookie and the like, and talking about the difficulties of travel. It's interesting stuff to read it. He did get some blowback, I think, which was unnecessary, but that's all. Also pretty common on Twitter. But I, I don't think, and we've talked about this a couple of times, but I don't think everybody realizes the difficulty of officials having to travel because they don't have home games. They have all road games. That's right. And and most live in or near a, a city that may have an NHL team. So they may have some games when they get to be in their hometown and, and they certainly get a few days off 
over the course of the month. But the rest of the time, they are on the road traveling from rink to rink. They travel independently. They travel commercial. And they don't travel as a group. So you've got each guy going their separate ways after the game, getting to various airports, hotels, getting to their next stop, doing it all over again with a new crew. It's it's exhausting. And it, it's a lot. I mean, Pronger talks about the, the miles they put on and later having charters. Charters aren't happening for officials. Nobody's loading your bags. Nobody's doing your laundry. So everything that he put from a player standpoint, there, there are so many layers you can just pile on from an official's point of view that make it so much harder, so much more isolating because you're traveling by yourself and so much more inconvenient, frankly, that it's it's a lot of wear and tear. It's a lot of miles. It's a lot of time spent in planes and traveling and, and you're doing it by yourself. So uh, kudos to the officials hanging in there. I think as Pronger tried to highlight what it's like for the players, it's, it's even more arduous for the officials and uh, just worth highlighting that, that it's a lot on them. They don't have the support of team staff or facilities or trainers when they're on the road. They're they're flying solo. They're, they're working on their own and a credit to what they go through and what they manage just to make it to the game every night. For consistency and to maybe help in terms of the logistics and travel, I'm sure this has been discussed before, but would it be something to look at to have crews work together rather than individual officials being put together for games. Is that something that we could and should perhaps look at going forward? So it's something that the league I know has not looked at. They like the interchangeability. They like the balance that comes by having different of folks working together on a night by night basis. We do see in the playoffs that we get pairings and sometimes four man crews, especially out west because of the travel where you will have two referees paired up working games together. And that the flip side of it is to have some consistency and have those two guys have that relationship and work together throughout the series. So the NHL obviously sees the value in partnering guys up because they do it uh, in ref pairs in the postseason. So I, I don't think they've had any appetite for it, but I could see Todd. I, I think there is the potential for value of let's put a four man crew together. Let's have them work a handful of games and, and maybe, maybe only a week at a time, but at least you can have them build some rapport together, work some games and, and then they split up and maybe reconvene with a different set of officials the following week. I think there would be value in it, but I think right now with so many moving parts and so many things to juggle with the official schedule that right now they're, the league is happy to have them keep that rotation going and, and working independently. As we wind down the regular season, the playoffs right around the corner, we're looking forward to it. And some interesting info that I caught from Darren Drager of TSN, there is an annual conference call with the teams involved prior to the start of the playoffs, just to tell them, you know, obvious things like, uh, let's not have any message sending, don't do anything stupid and stuff like that. But apparently one of the topics that will be on this year's conference call for the teams prior to the playoffs is to remind teams and coaches what is and what isn't allowed to be challenged for video review. It is not up to the referees on the ice to give them that information and to tell them the rules and what they can and cannot do. But I think it's it's time for coaches, especially, and broadcasters and fans and everyone else, but especially coaches, to crack open the rule book. And if, if you're not willing to do that, I mean, this is a, a pretty key rule here around potentially wiping out a goal from the opposing team. I think you can sit down and flip through the two or three pages that are around this rule on one of those cushy chartered flights when you're going to the next game. Maybe you can look at that or hire yourself a rules coach. We have guys looking at video. Just get somebody who knows the rule book. Put them on staff. Pay them a nice salary to, to know this rule because <laughs> it's, it's pretty critical. And I know there's plenty of interpretations, but you'd think, Todd, that if you're behind the bench, you, you at least know what you can and can't do back there. 
It seems pretty obvious. And you know, Josh, we have to wrap this one up right now because there's someone knocking on my door telling me that the answers are in the good book. 